Welcome back to Unleashed at Work and Home. You're going to love today's interview with Josh Weissman of Flourish Veterinary Consulting in Boulder, Colorado. He and I dove deep into the idea of meaning and how to really feel the effect that your work has. You're going to love it. Tune in. Josh, I'm so excited you could join me today to talk about meaning. We were talking about positive psychology and how it has the five elements of positive emotion, engagement, relationships, meaning, and accomplishment. And I really wanted to explore meaning with you. So could you tell me a little bit about what you think it meaning is? What What is meaning? Yeah, and thanks for having me, Colleen. I'm, I'm super excited to be here with you today talking about this topic that I am incredibly passionate about. Uh, So yeah, so meaning to me means that I am somehow contributing to something else in the world outside and perhaps even, uh, you know, above and beyond myself, uh, or greater than myself that fills a purpose in my life. I have a, a friend that I've met within the last year or so as I've been getting more and more into this work named Zach Mercurio. And Zach's big thing, his, his entire research is around purpose and meaning. And his big thing with, with meaning is, how am I contributing? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think that's, that really very concisely encompasses what meaning is. What contribution am I made, making to other people's lives? Yeah. And for pet professionals, from the outside looking at it, it seems so easy for us to see how someone else is contributing. But it seems like a lot of a lot of people get to a point where they feel like maybe it isn't making a difference. Have you seen that? Oh, yeah. Oh, totally. You know, uh, so professionally, my background involved uh, working in veterinary hospitals in a variety of roles. So uh, I started in vet med in the late 90s. <laughs> The very first guy that I ever worked for, his name, uh, Dr. Donald Davidson Dodge III, Triple D III, such a great name, and fit him perfectly because he was just like as goofy as his name sounded. Uh, <laughs> six foot seven, you know, kind of skinny as a rail, big smile on his face all day long, every day, wore a bolo tie to work half the time. He was just a great guy. So, yeah, so I worked at a, a practice with him. And he kind of trained me on the job to do kind of like tech work. And, and then through the years, I've done a variety of like tech assisting and you know, client care roles. Eventually, I got into practice management and even practice ownership, involved as a partner in two different small animal practices. I've worked on the consulting side. And so I've kind of gotten to see a lot of the different aspects of the field from mm-hmm. the, the veterinary medicine perspective. And it's really interesting, you know. The work that we do is so deeply steeped in meaning and purpose. Mm -hmm. I mean, we are serving the betterment of other living creatures, both the animals that we serve in in terms of their direct health, but also the the people, you know, that human-animal bond component. We're we're helping to, to extend the healthy relationship that they have with their pet and make it as you know, meaningful and happy and joyous as, as possible. But we're also often deeply separated from that. Sometimes we only see their pet when something is wrong. So we don't get to really witness all the joyous experiences that they have from that human-animal bond. Mm-hmm. And then within the practice, different roles are often 
you know, incredibly separated, not just sort of ethereally, but physically. Like, you know, oftentimes the technicians are, are sort of in the back, if you will. And I, I was just doing the hand quotes in the air. And they never see the client. So they, they never really get to see the contribution that they've made in a meaningful way to that person's life. Right. And so it it really does create that sense of disconnect, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, big time. Big time. So what do you think are some of the negative effects of that? You know, I think that some of the negative effects of that are are kind of myriad. So I'll share something with you. One of the things that I've come across in in the studies that I've done within positive psych and the education that I've been receiving is that what's so cool about this stuff is that it's sort of, it's like the next step in sort of our philosophical thinking. You know, we kind of intuitively know a lot of these things. What positive psychology has given us is sort of the empirical evidence supporting it. And then the ability to kind of look at it in the world and actually measure it. And so there are some really, really great tools that that they've been developing. And we've been using some of them within the work that we do through my consulting company, Flourish Veterinary Consulting, uh, to actually look at it specifically in veterinary medicine. And so this is not a formal study by any stretch of the imagination, but we've been we've been using some of these tools to look at the PERMA categories, which which you uh, mentioned earlier. So so meaning comes from this theory of well-being developed by Martin Seligman and the team that he worked with at the University of Pennsylvania, PERMA, the PERMA model for well-being. Mm-hmm. Um, so positive emotion, engagement, relationships, meaning, and achievement. So we've been kind of measuring those components in the workplace in veterinary medicine. And not at all surprisingly, what we're seeing is that the meaning scores, if you will, are substantially higher than what you see sort of in the average workplace. Mm-hmm. But the the experience of positive emotion in the workplace, the experience of engagement, the experience of relationships are substantially lower yeah. than what we're seeing. And so I think when you have that disconnect from your contribution, from your impact in other people's lives, it forces you in a way maybe to focus on all the nuts other negative impacts. I'm working 14 hour days. I'm not making enough money. My work is really, really stressful. I'm not making a difference. Mm-hmm. I feel like meaning can be such a great buffer to those things. And we're missing out on those opportunities. Yeah, I agree. And I think I think talking about meaning is a little bit fraught at times, because sometimes people you know, go immediately to Gandhi and Mother Teresa, me and the <laughs> yeah. M. Yeah, you know? yeah. And I think, I think there's a beauty in the ordinary life and the meaning of an ordinary life, and that yeah. we don't need to be Gandhi or Mother Teresa to find great meaning in our lives. So, from that, from that aspect of of the disconnect, what do you think we can do about it? You know. There's this really cool study that Adam Grant did. Adam Grant is an organizational psychologist at the Wharton Business School. And I'm, I'm going to mess up like some of the numbers, uh, but the numbers themselves are, are, not, are somewhat irrelevant here. So Adam Grant went, I believe it was the University of Michigan, you know, like all major universities, they've got this alumnus organization that tries to raise money you know, for scholarships and and things like that. And when you think about a scholarship conceptually, what is a scholarship? A scholarship 
is a way that somebody who might not have access to an education otherwise because of financial constraints gets access to that education. And how meaningful is that work, right? Mm-hmm. Like to be able to, to give somebody the opportunity to further their knowledge and wisdom and make more impact on the world within their values and strengths. Like, that, I mean, that's incredibly meaningful work. Mm-hmm. And yet, what, what is the nature of that kind of work? It's cold calling. Right. I graduated from the University of Colorado, and periodically I get calls from the alumnus that you organization there and they're looking for money for scholarships and let me tell you when i pick up the phone (laughs) nine times out of ten i'm not thinking about how meaningful their work is i'm thinking about how fast can i hang up you know (laughs) right and so so that's the experience a lot of these people have they're essentially you know they're they're marketers they're telemarketers Mm -hmm. and we all have kind of a concept of what telemarketers are so not surprisingly they were struggling these oftentimes students would go into these jobs and they were getting burned out. And they were having lots of turnover and they were struggling. So Adam Grant ran this cool experiment where he found a student who had benefited from a scholarship through the alumnus organization at the University of Michigan. And he had that student come in and one group of people were just kind of told about uh, you know, the impact of their work. And then the other group of people actually got to sit down with this student and for just five minutes, the student talked about what a huge difference it made in his life to have that scholarship. And then over the next several weeks, they tracked how effective the different telemarketers were, uh, you know, how much satisfaction they took from their work, how much money they raised, how many calls they made. And it was like an unbelievable increase in all of those metrics for the people that just heard this, this person mm-hmm. talk about the impact that their work made in his lives for just five minutes. Yeah. I, like we don't do those kinds of things in veterinary medicine. You know, that's one simple thing that we can do. We, we could just copy that, right? Like mm-hmm. we have staff meetings in veterinary hospitals. Why don't we have invite one of our top clients to a staff meeting? You know, a client that we've made a difference in their pet's lives or in their life personally mm-hmm. and have them come share that story with us for just a couple minutes. Yeah. How impactful would that be? How much more connected would we feel to the work that we do? That reminds me that I was talking to a friend in the fall about about my work with pet professionals and, and how difficult it can be to work in an animal hospital and, and deal with people's struggles and tragedies. And two weeks later, she hit one of those struggles and tragedies. Uh, the day before her wedding, her 14-year-old dog became very ill and needed to be euthanized. And she said that because of our conversation, she, not in that moment, but later, was able to notice how kind the staff had been with her. And for her to realize that that was just one client that they dealt with that day. So she made a real point of going back in a few weeks later to say, this was a horrible experience in my life and you made it as um, gentle as possible. And that really mattered. And she said that they were just sort of jaws agape at her. Like what you, what, what you're coming to say that it was good. (laughs) And and she said that perhaps they're not thanked very often for euthanizing, (laughs) but, um, but she, she had never really considered that 
she's she's had a number of pets. I don't I don't remember like five or six. So in her life, she's had five or six traumatic moments like this. But she hadn't considered the aspect that for the staff at that hospital, that was kind of business as usual. That was just yeah. today, and and how difficult that would be. And and so the idea of her going back in and sharing that that really was so helpful to her. It it did matter for her and it mattered for that team. And that that ties in so nicely with what you just said about finding ways to share with the team what is the impact? Who was affected? Why did it matter? And how did it matter? Because it'd be very easy to look upon that as a loss, like the animal died, you know, so that's a loss. Yeah. But it yeah. wasn't, you know, an older, healthy dog lived a nice life and had a peaceful death because they were there to help. Yeah, I think that's a great example. You know, that just reminded me, it's interesting, I hadn't thought about this in a while. But one of the hospitals uh, that I worked with, we had a regular practice where every patient of ours that was lost, whether we euthanized them, another practice euthanized them, or they died of natural causes, we would make a small donation to a local animal shelter. Mm-hmm. And that animal shelter had the practice of every donation that they received in memoriam, they would send a letter to that client. Hey, so-and-so, you know, hospital made uh, a donation in, you know, Fluffy's name, just wanted to let you know. And it was interesting that that was not our intention to, to get to this point, but it did result in exactly what you're talking about, that, you know, people would get this letter and they would be like, oh, my gosh, I got this letter. What a sweet thing that you did. And by the way, thank you so much for your kind, compassionate, dignified support during that really difficult time. I really feel like you made it as easy on me and my pet as possible. And, yeah, it resulted in those kinds of stories. So yeah, that's another way that you can do it. You know, you also made a really interesting point that I think the words that you used were – Something around, you know, like it could be easy to look at that as just a bad situation, just a death, but it's so much more. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's no surprise that that's what we do in the day to day. That's how our brains are wired. Yeah. Our brains are wired to see the quote unquote dangers in the world. And how we define dangers is really dependent on our mindset. And often things that feel bad, our amygdala looks at as a danger right? And it feels bad because we are empathetic, because we Mm -hmm. are compassionate people. When somebody loses their pet, that feels bad to us. And so it's very easy for us to categorize that as negative. And that's normal. That's totally normal, which is why we have to be intentional about building the habit to also look for the meaning in the things that feel bad. Because we don't naturally do that. We don't naturally look for meaning and impact in the work that we do. We are, unfortunately, really, really good at seeing how we're not making an impact Mm -hmm. or things that just feel bad. And so that's why it's so important to create these habits uh, to fill our world with meaning as well. Yes. And so, so what are some strategies you use for looking for the meaning and the impact? One thing that I have 
done in the past. You know, there's there's all this uh, hoopla that's come out of positive psychology about these like journaling activities, mm-hmm. you know, like gratitude practices and so on and so forth. And truthfully, they they work for some people and they don't work for others. And it's really about kind of finding what works for you. Mm-hmm. One thing that has worked for me in the past, I don't do it regularly, but I do do it occasionally, is sort of like a um, a variation of a gratitude practice. I'll do a contribution practice where I'll, you know, make the effort at the end of the day to sit down and write down two or three things that I have contributed to my colleagues, to my family, to my clients that day. Mm -hmm. And just the act of actually taking stock of that helps to kind of, for me, enhance a sense of meaning in the work that I've done that day. Yes. And it enhances the memory of it because by reliving it, you're, yes. you're kind of wiring your brain to notice those connections. Yeah. Yeah. It's a savoring activity. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a really, I think it's a really beautiful practice. And I think it's one that people sometimes resist because of taking credit. You know, it's like, how did I contribute today? What did I do that was helpful? And, and hopefully we did something that was helpful every day. Um, So looking at, you know, what was good and how, how did I play a role in that has a real value. Oh, I totally agree. I totally agree. And, and I think that you did touch on, you know, kind of one of the potential downsides of these kinds of activities is. For some people, it doesn't work. And for some people, it actually has a counteractive result in that if you can't think of ways that you, you know, things that you're grateful mm-hmm. for or ways that you've contributed, that can actually make you feel worse. So, uh, you know, another variation. First of all, I, I don't recommend these kinds of practices to everybody. It's, it, I, I feel that it's up to the individual to decide, oh, yeah, that's something that I think I would like to do right. or mm, that's not going to work for me. But there are a wide variety of ways to come at it to help fill the different, you know, sort of personality niches that we each have. Mm -hmm. So a a slight variation on the contribution practice that um, can be a little bit more comfortable for those of us who don't feel at ease taking credit for things. Instead of writing down or thinking about or journaling about things that I've contributed to the world, sit down and write down or think about contributions that others have made to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I was able to make a difference in this pet's life because my lead technician stepped up and mm-hmm. did so and so. And that helped me succeed. You know, so that's that's sort of divvying out credit to others while also feeling that sense of contribution and meaning. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. I, I do think we have to kind of play around to find the things that work for us. I mean, that's one of the things yeah. that we do in my Unleashed Resilience groups is we try something each week and then we talk about, like, I loved it. And someone else goes, yeah. oh, I thought it was awkward and weird. Great. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Great. That's information. Exactly. And yeah. And then you can either abandon it entirely or tweak it to find the way that it might work for you. But I think in in positive psychology, you mentioned before that a lot of it's sort of intuitive, but until we find a way to practice it, to apply it, to test it and say, how does this work for me, then it kind of can seem too easy, you know, like, oh, well, you know, just find things you're grateful for. Well, so how... How does that help anything? Well, it does help. 
but you have to find the way that it will work for you for it right. to help. Um, so it's it's not trite or simple. Well, it's simple but not easy is what it is. Yes, yes, it's, exactly. It's one of those slow skills. Like it will build up over time and you will see the difference over time. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, and that's one of the big challenges is especially in, in our society, you know, in the Western world in general and, and specifically in America, I feel that, you know, we we often for many things, we want the quick fix, right? Mm-hmm. That's why we're attracted to things like the seven minute workout. Mm-hmm. And now if you buy this ab device and do this for just 10 minutes a day, you know, th- those kinds of things, right? We want the quick fix. And why wouldn't we? I mean, mm-hmm. It would be nice if everything was easy in life, but the truth is it isn't. Most things don't just naturally happen on their own. We have to make them happen. What's what's great about it is that we we have the ability with how we think about those things to impact it based on our mindset. We can look at it as, oh my gosh, look at all of the hard work you know, that I'm going to have to do to get from A to B. One thing that I found has been really helpful for me is to look at it as, wow, look at all of the hard work that I've already done in the past. Mm-hmm. If I could do it before, I can do it again. Mm-hmm. You know, we've, we've all done these things already. And we've all led, successfully led change, whether it be in our own life or in some leadership role uh, in, other, in other life experiences, in the workplace or in our family. We've all done it before. If we, if we actually sit down and think about it, we have changed something. Yes. And if we've done it before, we can do it again. Mm-hmm. And even if it didn't go the way we wanted it to last time, we now have the lessons that we've learned from that that we Absolutely. can apply this time. So when we're when we're looking at this, I mean, the the Gallup poll data is you know so discouraging about how when we when we look at employees, thirteen percent of employees are actively engaged or engaged at work, and then sixty three percent are not engaged and 24% are sort of actively disengaged, kind of working against the system. Yeah. <laughs> um, that Those polls are, are Gallup polls across workers, not specifically pet professionals. But when we look at those pieces, we can see like a level of frustration and dissatisfaction that mm-hmm. seems to be kind of rippling through society. And I think the quick fix piece plays a role there. You know, that sometimes we turn toward, oh, you know, Facebook of like, like, I just need a little break. So I'm just going to look on Facebook and, and we fall into the compare and despair. Oh, everyone sure. else is happy. <laughs> sure. What about me? So when we're looking at, at that idea of as a, as a big group, we are not as engaged as we'd like to be. Taking it from a pet professional aspect what do you think as a big group we can do and then we'll deal with on an individual level after that? But Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, <laughs> at the risk of, of uh, dismissing the question, which is absolutely not my intention, I, I don't <laughs> think there is a, a simple quick fix to it. So, so I'm not, unfortunately, I'm not going to offer a silver bullet for your listeners to, to take home and, and suddenly turn this all around. However, I will point out that I think meaning is an incredible lever for driving those kinds of mm-hmm. things. 
One of the things that, that I appreciate about the PERMA model and specifically that M, the meaning, is that meaning drives all the other pillars of PERMA. Mm-hmm. If you have a sense of meaning in your life or in the work that you're doing or in any particular situation, you will feel better about what you're doing. That's the positive emotion component, right? Mm-hmm. If you have a sense of meaning, just based on the neurochemical response that you're going to have in your brain, you're going to be more engaged. It's going to light up parts of your brain that enhance engagement. And that's the same in the workplace. If you have a sense of meaning in whatever you're doing, by virtue of that meaning, it's because of a contribution or some impact that you're having on another human being that is relational. That is the R component, right? And then by working towards that meaning and enhancing it and growing it, it feeds a sense of achievement or accomplishment, which is the A. And so I think we have this wonderful, wonderful opportunity in veterinary medicine that it is you know, built into the foundation of it. Implicitly, the work that we do is purposeful. It is purposeful work. And because it's purposeful, there's so much opportunity to extrapolate meaning from it. For whatever reason, I just feel like we haven't made it intentional. I don't know. Maybe maybe we just assume that because it's purposeful work, we don't even have to address it. But by doing that, by not making it intentional, we're not leveraging it. Right. And and I would love to see us do more to really focus on the the meaning and impact, the contribution that we have in all the work that we do, whether it be you know on a grand scale. Uh, veterinary medicine is meaningful, or just that those simple day to days. You know that. Uh, you showing up on time today, ready to work, makes my job easier. And when my job is easier, I am much better primed to help these animals lead flourishing lives. And and when they are flourishing, their you know their their owners or their guardians are going to feel better about their relationship with their pet. It enhances the human animal bond. We all know about you know the positive impacts both psychologically and physiologically of having you know a good connection with your pet. That's that's impact right mm-hmm. there. It just when you said that it reminded me of this study on meaning, and I I. I don't have any reference for it right now. It's completely escaping me. But they were doing it in a hospital, and they interviewed all sorts of employees. And one of the custodial staff members said her job was to help people get better. And the way she helped people get better was she made the floors in the operating rooms very, very clean. And if there were clean floors people could get better. So she was turning her her job into a real calling that she had a mission and it and it played a huge role in yeah. the hospital's mission which was making people get better. She was a part of that. And I think I think it does need to be intentional because you can have that same hospital there were you know there were cardiologists in the hospital who were like, "Yeah, I've got a job. I you know, I fix hearts, whatever." Um right, right. And, and then there's this custodial member who's like it and they also said that she she swapped out photos in the rooms of a patient in a vegetative state yes yes and they they said there was no evidence that that could help this patient but the woman sort of her gut feeling said but maybe it would maybe a little change in her environment might help her rouse her brain. And I yeah, was like, yeah. wow. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I think all that stuff is powerful. And that, you know, and 
that's that's the point. Zach, Zach has a saying. I'm I'm stealing some of Zach's work now. Uh, Zach has a saying that he says, you know, meaning is is not prescriptive. It's not something that I can give you. You have to get it yourself. And I think maybe that actually speaks to some of the problem in veterinary medicine that we maybe we just assume that it will be there because of the work that we do. And and the problem there is that we're not making it intentional, like you said. We're not making it an effort. There's some really interesting research out of behavioral economics that I feel like fits well here around motivation. Mm-hmm. When we don't make things like meaning intentional, when we don't actually focus on those kinds of things and the work that we do, something else is going to fill that void. And what t- I believe tends to fill the void in most veterinary hospitals is you know, getting stuff done. Yeah. And, and it becomes a very task-oriented sort of day-to-day regimen. All our checklists and, you know, uh, we have to, you know, we have to make these calls and we have to, and we lose sight of why we're Mm -hmm. doing those things. And it just becomes about what we're doing. Yeah. The problem with that is that neurologically that, that actually impedes motivation and can, can actually have a a counterintuitive response to it. Mm -hmm. So, so what we try and do is we try and oftentimes come up with some sort of a motivator to get the stuff done better, to get it done more efficiently, to get it done quicker. And we make it about those kind of, you know, those task oriented things. So for example, there was this really neat experiment done. Uh, uh, Dan Ariely, who's a, um, an Israeli mm-hmm. um, behavioral economist, uh, he did this study in India. Uh, he wanted to go somewhere like some, you know, I don't know, village out in the middle of nowhere where, you know, like uh, small amounts of money would would potentially have huge impacts. And he had people doing these sort of task activities. I don't remember the specifics of what it was, but it was it was somewhat mindless work of just getting tasks done like we, you know, tend to focus on mm-hmm. in a lot of our veterinary hospitals. And one group for accuracy and efficiency would get the equivalent of like roughly a day's pay, like a dollar whatever it was, something like that, you know, the better that they did. And then another group would get something like two weeks pay or, or something along those lines, the better that they did. And then the last group would get something like three months worth of, of their pay, it, you know, if they, if they finish this task uh, at, the, at the top marks. And what he found was that the, the, the people who were given were offered the largest amount of money actually performed the worst mm-hmm. and had you know a high, much higher stress response and so on and so forth and so we, we're trying to motivate these task oriented things with sort of what what are perceived as threats whether they're real or perceived are, are threats either right. you know you'll get you'll get a raise which c- can B, can feel like a threat, like, oh my gosh, if I don't do this, I'm going to lose out on this money, or, you know, you'll lose your job. Uh, And those things as motivators just don't work. They just don't work in those kinds of situations. So we've created situations that are task-driven, and then we've tried to motivate them with motivators that actually result in the exact opposite of what we're trying to accomplish. We have to get back to meaning. We have to get back to focusing on the the contribution that our work makes to the world. So what is your best tip for a person who just says like, "Ugh, I'm not feeling it." What's your best tip? 
for, for a person that's not feeling the impact that they make. Yeah. It's so situational, but I feel like, you know, actually doing something like a contribution practice, talking to people, making an effort to talk to the people who you mean to contribute to or who you, you know, sort of your end user, if you will. Um, oftentimes we don't do that, especially, you know, I think of veterinary technicians, so many veterinary technicians, I feel like maybe get into the field because they don't want to have to deal with the clients. They just mm-hmm. want to you know, deal with the pets. And the problem is, is that the pets can't tell us about the contribution that we're making. Yeah. And so making, you know, making an effort to actually have a conversation with the clients and even ask them directly coming here with your pet. Tell me like, how is, how is that made? your relationship with your pet better and hearing those kinds of stories. And then I think from a leadership perspective, doing anything we can to foster and cultivate that reasonably within our workplace environment is absolutely critical. I think oftentimes as leaders in a veterinary practice, and so I'm talking about the practice managers or a team lead or, you know, a medical director or even just doctors in general or the practice owner, all those kinds of people, I think just being cognizant of the message that we're sending, whether it's intentional or not, on a day-to-day basis is really, really important. Are we sending a message of the tasks are the most important things Mm -hmm. and the motivators are your job and what you get paid? Or are we sending the message of the work that we do is valuable because it makes a positive contribution to somebody's life and here is how, uh, I, I think is a critical differentiator. That's awesome. Thanks so much for joining me today. So if people want to learn more about you and your work, how could they do that? Yeah, so we have a website for our company, flourishveterinaryconsulting.com. It is a mouthful, I know. Flourishveterinaryconsulting.com is a great way to uh, find out more information about us and what we do and the work that I do. Uh, I have a a blog there. I post articles uh, that cover topics like what we've talked about today. And I, I try very, very hard to include little tips and action items, things that people can actually use in those blogs. And so that can be found on there. Um, I'm also pretty active on LinkedIn uh, with a lot of the work that I do as well. So that would be another place to find me. And then, of course, just reaching out to me directly with any questions, comments, ideas, thoughts. Josh at flourishveterinaryconsulting.com is a great way to get a hold of me. Awesome. I will put links to all of that in the show notes. Thanks so much for joining me today, Josh. This has been awesome. Yeah, Colleen, thanks so much for having me. I am very inspired by the work that you're doing. So thank you for including me. So what do you think? Josh is awesome, right? I told you you were going to like him. Let's just do a quick recap. Meaning. It's about mindset. It's about thinking about your effect on the world and the world's effect on you a little bit too. Really, if you're struggling with finding meaning, you may want to go back to the big question of why and explore why the work matters. What is the bigger picture? What's the purpose here and how does it affect other things? And, And give it some thought. Look also at your other kinds of connections, at your friends and your family and your other relationships, your personal projects. Meaning doesn't have to be only about paid employment. Meaning comes in so many parts of our lives. So what intentional activity 
are you going to do this week to help find more meaning in your life? Give it some thought. I'd really love to know. Shoot me an email and tell me. Or put it in the show notes. Put a comment with the show notes. That'd be great. If you need a little help finding meaning, I'm happy to help. You may like to try an Unleashed Resilience group where we explore positive psychology and resilience in small group setting. And you can find what works for you. We try out different things and see what feels right. In any case, however you find it, I hope that you feel great meaning and impact and know that you're using your strengths in a way that benefits the world. See you next time.